All right. Can um, we need we need Jesus? I need Jesus. Let's pray out loud together for this time in the Word. Amen. Amen. We really need it. Um, I really need it because I think I promised I could knock down, drag him out. Everybody going home feeling bad about themselves, kind of sermon. And so, um, exactly, we need the Lord. So why don't we why don't we just pray? Okay. So I'm going to count us down and let's ask the Lord to just. Uh, do something amazing with this time. One, two, three, go. Lord Jesus, just thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're so good. I just want to be certain. I just claim the death of Jesus over myself, over my life. I claim the baptism, the death of Jesus over my life. In Jesus' name. God, would you just know so many Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you are so good. There has never been a person on this earth who breathed air, who has been so full of amazing, outrageous love. But Lord, because you are all truth and all love and all just trying to bring your Father glory, many people thought you were the most dangerous thing they'd ever met. And, uh, that's true too. The line of Judah has broken the stone table and he can never die again or ever be controlled. And so Jesus, you, you are amazing and worthy of worship. And so I just glorify you. And Jesus, I, would just, I just want to tell you, I'm beginning to believe it's true. It's actually better to be disciplined by you than praised by anybody. It's actually better to be hurting under the will of God than to have the best, most pain-free uh, times ever. It's so worth it. You're so worth it. And it's always a rescue. God, whenever you send sufferings our way or pains our way, it's always a rescue plan. It's always glorious. And so, Lord, would you do an amazing thing? And, Lord, even as I've talked up, that this might be challenging for some people. I kind of doubt it's going to be totally like that. So Lord, I just, I just want to be a true servant of the word and help me to mimic your love by the power of the Holy Spirit. And amen. So if you were with us last week, we were reading through Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, just enjoying the fivefold ministry or the five gifts that Jesus gave to the church that are listed in Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And we spent some time talking about how Jesus has given this gift to the church, these giftings to the church, so that we'll grow up into Christ, that we'll become more mature, we'll become more like him altogether as well as individuals. And we spent some time talking about how that maturity looks like being equipped for ministry, becoming more grounded in Jesus so that we're not tossed back and forth by new teachings and what the world says and every challenging change of culture that comes our way and so that we can be really, really useful to the Lord, working as a part of his body, building up the church in love. And so then we talked about how um, I gave my own descriptions about what these gifts look like, how teachers like to 
share the truth from the Word so that people know the knowledge of God and that pastors care about actual people and are interested in the hearts of people and how they're doing with the Lord and want to bless them by helping them overcome as people so that they can grow in Jesus. How evangelists are really gripped with the fact that they're people who don't know the Lord. And they want to reach out to them as well as when things are working well, they want to help the church grow in reaching out. How prophets are really concerned about hearing the Holy Spirit speak about God's perspective about situations so that we can have courage to be brave for Jesus and to say yes to things that look not great or to invest time in things so that we can be prepared for the future. And that's kind of the heart of it, to hear God speak today for our situation so that we can have faith and respond to him and how apostles and again i said that this is the most challenging description and probably the one that is the most difficult to talk about in north american culture at least there are lots of places in africa where they just roll with this stuff but in north america the apostolic gifting cares about order and health in the church so that it can grow and spread and we talked about different ways that that can happen And then I gave people a call for people who don't like homework, and I gave homework to people who like homework to go and talk about and ask some people to, to respond if they see any of these gifts or any bents towards these things in each one of us. Did anybody do that? Okay, so some people did. Was that a helpful conversation? Okay. Does anybody just not like raising their hands? Does anybody just not need the feedback because they're already running with it? That's good. Let me just say right off the bat before I read Ephesians 4 again, that kind of exercise is really helpful. And I know that some people probably felt like they don't see themselves fitting into any of those five things. Can I just say one thing? That experience is from the Lord. Now, there are other gifts lists that have different things that you might feel more at home in. But that sense of not knowing where you fit is a gift from Jesus. And the right response is to seek the Lord and to pray. And if you feel really uncomfortable and like that ruined your day, say, Jesus, how come that ruined my day? And whatever you want me to know about me so that I can serve you well, would you help me to understand? So even failing the tests are a gift from the Lord, in quotation marks. Because guess what? Everything's about Jesus. There isn't one molecule in this entire universe that isn't about the glory of Christ. Or one event that happens in this God-predestined history that isn't ultimately about the glory of Christ. So if whatever happens to you, you just turn to Jesus and say, Okay, Lord. What do you want to say? What do you want me to do? I seek you. Gold star, A plus, you win. Is that good? I don't know who I am. Wonderful. Turn to Jesus. He totally knew who you were before you even began to grow inside your mother. And he loves you. If you turn to him in faith, you're in relationship with him. So, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm sorry, my mouth's a little dry today. Please bear with the drinking. All right, let's read Ephesians 4 together. Apostle Paul says, speaking by the Holy Spirit, so that these are the very words of God, 
I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Just I'm going to press pause there. That kind of talk, one God who is over all and in all and through all, is the Bible's way of saying it's all about God. He starts it, he's in it, he finishes it. That's what I'm talking about. This is all about Jesus, because there's only one Father who is over everything and in everything and bringing everything towards his goal. And amen. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and I admitted to my community group this week that I don't totally understand what this all means, and so that's why I'm not preaching on it. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, or namely the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. End of parenthesis. And he, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, and specifically what he means is by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. And here's my core verses for this morning. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is doing its work properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is my main verse for today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Okay, so I promised to talk about um, nitty-gritty, messy junk today. And the reason I want to do this is I don't, I don't, I think I fall into this a lot. Okay, I fall into this a lot. This is one of my weaknesses and I apologize. But I don't want to be a church that talks about the Bible and just talks about how wonderful things are and how awesome things are. And then everybody kind of leaves at around 12.30 or 1 and then walks into this world which is just an awful mess where everything's hurt and everything hurts and everything's tough and everything's always falling apart. And to give this sense that to be a Christian you just kind of have to um, hit yourself in the forehead with a hammer hard enough until you black out and then it's great. Um, the, The world's a mess and being a Christian is really painful and the church is absolutely complicated and if you stick around long enough everything's going to fall apart. No clapping? <laughs> Say what? However, the reality is is that most of us have been around the block once or twice, even since we've gotten saved, and we know that it's a mess and things hurt and 
people who say they're Christians hurt you, and you who say you're a Christian hurt other people, and nobody's quite living up to everything the Bible calls us to. And so, uh, as a part of me wanting to be a faithful pastor, I just want to talk about the junk. Well, okay, if that makes sense. So, point number one, if I, I don't, this is, this is going to be a really messy message. Um, but if I have a point... I just want to point out again that the whole point of this section I read and the gifts that are given, whether it's the fivefold ministry here or other gifts, gifts listed, the whole point is Jesus. And the whole point is that each one of us would grow up into Christ. That's the point. Having power from God is so that we personally would grow into Christ and we would help others grow into Christ. And having problems from God is so that we individually would grow up into Christ and that we would be able to help others grow up into Christ. And the mess of the church is so that we as the church would grow up into Christ and be able to help other people grow up into Christ, to grow in their faith in Christ and their trust in Christ and their knowledge of Christ and their love for Christ and seeing the glory of Christ. It's about Jesus. And I'm not making this up. It's in the book, and I just quoted it to you. But, but we miss this, and we forget this. Because between human fallen nature and Canadian culture, we actually believe that the world exists to make us feel special while we, while we accomplish our goals and fulfill our dreams and receive praise from everyone around us. That's the assumption. And you don't, that's the world we live in right? The point of being alive is that I would accomplish my dreams, fulfill my goals, and be celebrated by the people around me. And even when you do something like a giftings test in the church or talking about the fivefold ministries, it's really easy to receive these things if you're not thinking about it as Rob is going to help me learn that I'm a teacher And by teaching, I can accomplish my goals, fulfill my dreams, and receive praise from the people around me. Or if I learn that I'm a prophetic, then the Holy Spirit, by helping me do stuff, can help me accomplish my goals, fulfill my dreams, and then receive praise and honor from the people around me. And when that doesn't happen, it must mean that I'm surrounded by a bunch of haters. And I just need to wash my face, stop apologizing, reject the haters, because I got dreams and I got goals. And if you want to be with me, it would be nice if you could give me some thumbs up, some back claps, and some stuff like this to show me you celebrate me while I'm on my mission to be special. That heart is antichrist. That mindset is antichrist. That way of living is antichrist. And the church in, in the West loves it. We just swallow that stuff down. If someone presents a, a, a mindset or a way of doing things which are about accomplishing your dreams and doing your goals so that you can receive praise and become the person you always wanted to be, and maybe throw a Bible verse on there, we swallow it down whole.
Robert Balfour's goal in life is to be as dead as possible while God uses me for other people's good. I want to be dead. I'm so bad at it. I see my heart and myself climbing out of my baptismal tank where I was supposed to die with Christ all the time, screaming, what about me? What about me? What about me? And I just, by the strength of Jesus, want to get over there with my nastiest winter boots and just step on that face. I'm supposed to be dead. I hear that stuff and I go, what dreams? What goals? It's just supposed to be Jesus. And the thing that saves me from this the most, which is why I've been harping on this, is that when I live seeing the glory of Christ, I forget about myself. And everybody else has a better day because of it. In the Belfer household or at work. And I have to repent to them less. Amen? Amen. Friday morning. First 45 minutes of the day. So I'm setting a heart here. And this isn't a small thing, because if the goal is actually I'm special and I'm supposed to be empowered to be special and the end result should be people seeing that I'm special, that is a different universe than rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head, which is Christ. And the big nutshell is the fivefold ministry blows up when we forget that it's all about Jesus And how we help people grow up into Christ is that we speak the truth in love. And when we forget that it's all about Jesus and not about me and not about you even, hello? Like idolatry is me caring more about what you think than what about Jesus thinks. Or That's idolatry. So if I get up here and I'm like, how do I make these people happy? That's just idolatry. It's like, how do I make you happy, Jesus? And he says, why don't you do this? Why don't you speak the truth to them in love? So the love's still in there. The motivation is Christ instead of me. The fivefold gifts get destroyed when it's about someone besides Jesus. And usually how that works is that you either forsake the love or you forsake the truth. And the reality is, is once you've lost one of those things, they're both gone. Amen? Amen. So that's the whole message. So if you just flip, flip on your iPhone right now, then you got it. But let's walk this out. How do teachers blow this? One of the helpful things about the scriptures is that the New Testament is really teaching heavy because Jesus came and he spoke and he left a gospel. And so you actually need teachers to help people understand the Bible. And my sense of scripture is that even, you know, we have this Bible and a lot of the work of the church is just teaching, giving people the information of the word of God and helping people understand what it means for them, which is the teaching task. And so there's lots of work to do there. And, uh, Brian McRae once said recently, if you don't have a teacher, you don't have a church. Because it won't be based on people understanding God's word and living in faith based on knowledge. And so I was like, cool. Uh, And not, not personally cool, but I think it's just a good insight. If you don't have a teacher, you don't have a church because a church is based around the life of God's word coming into the body. 
But because it's so important, it's really easy to mess up, and it's really easy for people who don't actually want to die so that God can get glory to want to be teachers. And so the scriptures actually talk a few times about this in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, where Paul's in trouble, and he's expecting to die soon, and he's helping Timothy bless the church in Ephesus by um, sorting through all the bad teachers they have in the church. And so he says a few things, you know, he says in 1 Timothy 6 that there's a bunch of teachers who just like to quarrel because they see teaching as a way of getting gain. So they get, oh, if, if I'm a teacher in the church, people pay me money. And so they just start talking to Bible verses and fighting with people to appear to be somebody who's somebody in the church with the Bible verses so that people will pay them. Um, in 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy that there's going to be a bunch of ear scratching coming up. And so I'll read this one. This one's worth reading. Second Timothy chapter 4. He says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's the T word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And he's saying the time's coming or in the last days, which is pretty much until Jesus returns. um, People are going to want to find people who will tell them what they want to hear. That's human nature. Um, I joke with Dave sometimes. I'll read a book and I'll be like, it was a great book. He said all these things that I thought already. And it's this way of just joking about what makes a great author. Well, they just, they agreed with me. What makes a great preacher? Well, they totally agreed with me. What makes a great church? They, they totally do it just the way I want. That's ear scratching, right? Trying to find someone to suit their passions. Now this situation only comes about when you have teachers who are willing to do that. Who, who run with that instinct. What will make them happy? What, what do they want to hear? What'll make, what'll, what will make me look good in their eyes? What will increase the crowds? What will get the most likes on Facebook? What will do that stuff? Okay? It's no longer about Jesus, and it's not about the truth. Because it actually only takes a little bit of tweaking of the truth to make it about people instead of about God. You can do all things through someone who strengthens you. Isn't it great that you can do all things? Go and do all those things. Achieve your goals. Fulfill your dreams. Look at Jesus. He's got these fantastic pom-poms, and he will do the splits for you to encourage you. Wrote a guy who was in prison for Jesus. That encouraging verse was written by a guy who was in prison for Christ. In a bad prison. Like chained to somebody who had orders to kill him if he tried to escape. Don't confuse me with the details, Rob. So one of the things about being a teacher is that you can twist the truth, um, tweak the truth in order to win praise from people. Or another thing that can happen is that we can fail on the love side of things where you can actually just try to use the Bible to control people. Because you've come into the church where people esteem the word of God and you're like, wow, I can actually take these words and I can make people do things by telling them verses. I like making people do things. I like feeling like I'm the boss. And so you can go around quoting Bible verses to people just to enjoy um, having power over them. And that would be a love fail. Because Christian love is all about 
How can I die for your good? That's Christian love. Not how can I rule over you, but how can I hurt more so that you're freer? Right? And so the teaching gift, and I just want to say there are lines where eventually it's, it's, it's true, where it's not a failed real gift, but it is actually a successful satanic gift. It isn't the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so bad. It's a different spirit, and that's why it's so messy. But I don't always know where the lines is, so I'm mostly talking about failed gifts here. But I do realize there is a time where a teacher really is just a servant of Satan. And uh, if, if you've been through Matthew this week, you know that Satan knows how to quote scripture from memory. When he was tempting Jesus, he had a few scripture verses. Throw yourself off to the temple, Jesus, because the psalm says that he'll catch you. And, did, you know, all this thing. Satan knows how to, how to quote the Bible. That's not a problem. And the people who killed Jesus were the Bible teachers. And I take that seriously. I take that really seriously. If there's anybody in Calvary Chapel right now who is at a risk of being worthy of going to hell because they don't actually want Jesus to get the glory, it's me. Because I'm up here the most with kind of the most influence and can make it the most about me and getting him to do what I want instead of what Jesus wants. And so I think it's James warns us, you who are teachers should watch out because you're going to be judged twice as hard. And you go, that is true. If Jesus loves me, which I think he does, he, he disciplines me twice as quick and twice as hard as anybody else here because I'm a teacher. Anybody want to be a teacher? Anybody want to preach next Sunday? Twice as quick and twice as hard. And so I joke with the guys. It's like, God always makes me learn what I preach. Sometimes it's the week before and sometimes it's the week after, but there's always some freight train that comes barreling into me that is exactly what I talked about or is about to. And it's a gift from Jesus and it's the glory of God. And I'm so grateful. I'm actually okay to be doing badly for the rest of my life if Jesus would just make my life count for the good of his bride to his glory, and as long as along the way he just keeps opening my eyes to see him. I just want to see Jesus. Okay, pastors. These are the people-oriented people. We live in a lie-to-me culture that has really high expectations about how people make us feel. We live in a culture where it's illegal to tell people who are biologically males they're males when they think that they're females in some promises. It's illegal. And they can have a human rights violation against you and destroy you financially. I don't know if it's the same in Manitoba. I think it's that way in Ontario. So this is a lie-to-me culture where we don't actually necessarily care what's true. The thing that's important is how you make someone feel. And the pastoral gift in the church can embrace that kind of attitude where they evaluate themselves by how they think they're making somebody feel. And if they need to tweak a truth or forget something Jesus said in order to make somebody feel better, you can do it. Because what they really want from me is to make them feel better, encouraged or loved. We can fall off the the fence on the other side, on the love side, by pastorally wired people are often really in tune with how people work and so you can end up being manipulative so you can make yourself feel like they like you. 
And it's, it's, the Bible calls it people-pleasing, right? Where you're more concerned about whether or not people like you than if you're actually helping shepherd them into, into the head who is Christ by speaking the truth in love in that kind of one-on-one or small group situation. So that, from my perspective at least, is the real danger. If it's teachers, if it's t- teaching and not loving the truth or speaking the truth in love so that you can look good or control people, for pastors, falling off the truth, love, saying is so that you can feel like you're making people happy so that they'll like you. For evangelists, um, I don't have a lot of authority to speak to this one because I'm really not evangelistically wired. But as an observer... Sometimes really successful evangelists can be measured by how much money they make overseas. And they've often twisted or tweaked the gospel to believe in Jesus and he'll bless you financially, so bless me financially, so God can bless you financially. And I think the challenge will always be with the evangelists is that the, the whole gospel is offensive to some everybody in some way. And so you, you, the the challenge can be to actually lead them to the real Jesus instead of leading them to half a Jesus. I think that's the challenge in our culture, to speak the gospel in such a way where you're talking about sin and you're warning about the dangers of eternal judgment and the fires of hell, and just knowing that something about Jesus, whether it's his humility or his cross, or that he's the only way to heaven, or that you have to humble yourself and admit you're a sinner to come to Jesus, and you can't live with Jesus and the world, you have to forsake your whole life to be a true Christian. The cost of the gospel, it was costly to Jesus, and he was constantly losing followers because of just telling them the truth of what it really means to be a Christian. We can... We can leave stuff out and just get them to sign the card or make that confession and say, the numbers are looking good. That's not truth. And sometimes evangelists can fall off the other side on the love issue. They can be a bit harsh. Sometimes I think an evangelist gift can get stuck um, in an anger at the world kind of thing, like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah called to go and preach to Nineveh as an evangelist that they would get saved to preach their, their sins to them and call them to repentance so that they could get rescued? And first he didn't want to go because he hated them. And then when he went and preached and they got saved, he was really mad because he'd been deprived of an enemy. And I think sometimes people can call just harshness and anger at sinners evangelism, and that's not true. Or I could be totally wrong, and you can say, Rob, you're totally wrong, and I would admit that because I've already said this is a lot of observations from where I stand, and I'm trying to apply God's word to our real world, and this is where things can get sketchy and you can make, make mistakes. Prophets and the love and the truth. Um, the prophetic gift can be a really heady experience. What I mean by that is like hearing God's word and knowing secrets about people's lives and just speaking a word to somebody because God talked to you that changes their life can feel like such a rush. Or to feel like God is talking to you and you hear him when you're on your bed or hear him you're praying, it can feel like such a rush that you can forget that you actually need other people 
You can forget that you need someone to teach you the Bible. You can forget that you need pastoral care. Because it's like, I'm talking to God here. Why do I need anybody? God talks to me. I don't need to come listen to some boring sermons or something. I don't need that stuff. And one of the interesting things about the scriptures is that the prophetic gift is the one that, at least in 1 Corinthians, is told it needs the most shepherding. The words need to get weighed. They need to get evaluated. And you need the church there listening and saying, eh, it's good and okay, maybe this was missing, this wasn't, let's, let's, we'll receive this, this is the Lord, this isn't. And so it's this weird thing where the prophetic gift can give this sense of like, I'm independent and I don't need people because God talks to me. And at the same time, God says, the way I do this, you need people more than most so that you don't go super cray-cray weirdo. And because and we're meant to be a body working together, but I think it's this thing. And then what tends to happen is that when, um, yeah, I'll say it here. Um, no, I'm going to hold on to it. Um, the love thing can be missing sometimes just from um, reducing interactions with people to delivering God's word and not necessarily knowing that we need to be living together in a love relationship and community groups and in fellowship. And like my connection with the body is just hearing God for the body and that's how I relate. But actually we're meant to be having life on life care relationships, loving each other beyond just sharing something God said. And for the apostles who are wired towards order for growth, um, I think sometimes for people bent this way, Jesus can get lost in the, in the functioning of the church. Um, where it can feel like the people exist just to get organized and to not make messes. There's this great proverb that says, um, where the stall is empty, sorry, where the where there is no ox, the stall is empty, but it's through the strength of an ox that you have a good harvest. And what Solomon's getting at there is, if you don't want big piles of crap in your life, just don't have an ox. But if you actually want to have a lot of food to eat come fall, you need that ox. And for the church, it's like, if you don't want to have any problems, don't have a church. But if you actually want people to grow in Christ and people to get saved... You've got to learn to love the mess. Don't want to have any problems. Don't come to church. You can pipe in some of the best stuff in the world on your phone every Sunday. The problem is you'll just have like no fruit. Because learning to love Christians is one of the hardest things in the world, but that's where you actually become like Jesus and become useful. Does that make sense? That would be the love issue. I think healthy apostolic vision of the church should see chaos as potential. Just like when God showed up to the mess, when it was all darkness and raging waters, he didn't go, let's get rid of this and start with an absolute vacuum of space. He says, okay, to the darkness, that looks like a good space to make some light. And to the waters, he said, that looks like a good place to make some land. And to the empty land, he said, that looks like a good place to make a tree. Oh, that water looks like a great place to make fish. 
Well, that sky looks like a great, empty, useless place to make birds. So he was, he was kind of being apostolic. He brought order to chaos and life to the order. And the other place where I think the apostolic can fall off, and this would be maybe the truth issue, is that the goal of the church isn't just to get bigger. The goal of the church is the, to spread for the glory of Jesus. And so I wonder if sometimes mega churches, and I don't think the ones in Steinbeck because I know those guys and gals, but sometimes mega churches can just exist for the sake of growing the mega church. And the glory of Jesus and the cost of Jesus can sometimes disappear in the growth. Does that make sense? Okay, so now that I've insulted everybody and hurt everybody's feelings, and I hope you see, can see that I, made, I insulted and made fun of the teacher types the most from the inside. Other pitfalls that the church, I think, can fall into is a problem of clumping. Okay, I'm going to call this clumping or clotting. And this is kind of a broader church issue for me that I see. And this is the thing. I think teacher types tend to clump with other teacher types. And I think prophetic types tend to clump with other prophetic types. And evangelists, if they can clump, because they're usually out there looking for non-Christians, they would clump maybe around uh, missionary organizations or something like that. And apostles, if they can clump, because they need to give each other room so they're not trying to build on each other's structures and they want to go out there and grow, they can clump. um, And pastor types can clump with pastor types. And so there can be this issue of um, Christians just hanging out with the same kind of giftings and missing out on actually all of us growing together. But it does get a little bit weird. And so when teachers clump, this is what I think can happen. When teachers clump together, they get really addicted to giving each other the honors of being good teachers, whether or not it's degrees or signing each other's books or stuff like that. You just get really used to evaluating how a Christian is doing by how smart they are because they like to give and receive the praise of that kind of stuff. And out of that flows this sense that there really is nobody who's good enough when it comes to knowing the truth of God's word. There's nobody who actually is good enough to be a Christian because... They've never heard of the third council of Trent. And they totally didn't know that that Hebrew word was a hithpolel of the word pa'al. And so how could you even love them? And it totally happens. Too many teachers together end up thinking that the point is just to keep refining the truth. And they forget that they're actually meant to serve people who don't know as much as they do with the truth in love. So they actually want to hear what you have to say so that they can know God better for his glory. And so this happens. I think it happens in reform circles. I think it happens in Calvinist circles. I think it can happen in those kinds of things because they, they tend to be really smart. And they tend to actually read the Bible really well. That's one of the reasons why I like their book so much. They actually really do read the Bible well. But it can fall down in actually blessing the church in action because the evaluation of how you act, what it means to actually be the Christian is just reading the Bible really well and forgetting that people actually need people who love them to talk about their souls and evangelists to go out and care about the lost and apostles to come and actually help their church grow and spread so that it's not just our Bible church that's the same number of people. It's always been for the last 50 years. And when teachers clump together, 
they tend to really hate the prophetic gift. Because they're not just quoting the Bible. And there can kind of be this control thing about the Bible, right? Like, I think God's saying this. Is that scripture? No, I think God talked to me. Okay, you're crazy. Why? Well, because we've all decided that being a Christian just means being smart about the Bible. And one of the things that bugs me about this is that the New Testament doesn't say that. It says when the prophetic gift is crazy, you weigh it and keep the good stuff and then get rid of the bad stuff. That's the end of 1 Thessalonians. And the, the Bible, the, the real one, actually says when the prophets are misbehaving, you send in an apostle to bring order to their behavior so they can be a blessing to the church. Say, what? You mean the Bible actually has solutions to these problems? What, the Bible, you can actually apply it to your life? I thought the point was just feeling smart. But you can actually apply it to your local church and change things? No! So I'm kicking my own team in the shins here, but you will run into this. And I want you to be aware of it, and I want you to be gracious with it. I want you to help purposefully kind of diagnose what the issue is and take the good and reject the bad. Amen? Amen. Prophets and the prophetic gift can clump. Nowadays, they tend to clump around outpourings and blessings or whatever they call it or mega churches that have prophetically wired people. And what can happen with prophetic people clumping is things can get really energetic and really lively. And it can give birth to lots of creative things. The problem is, is that without this ongoing sensation of needing calm and unenergetic teachers along helping the weighing process, the doctrine tends to go sideways really quick. And people start saying things that are just not true. And then it actually brings disrepute on the, what's happening to the outside church. That's kind of like, what's going on there? And then you hear people teaching things that are just wrong because they're not used to weighing it and they're being carried along and not remembering that the Spirit, the Spirit of God actually says, I'm not going to lead you in such a way that you never make mistakes. The Spirit of God says, people are going to weigh your stuff because I am going to let you make mistakes. Right? That's, that's the flip side of saying you need your, your prophetic words weighed is that God is saying, I'm not going to speak to you in a way that is perfect. You're going to need some weight. You need some input. You're going to need a teacher to come along and say, what you just said just denies the hypostatic union. And instead of saying, okay, help me understand. We really need each other. I think when evangelists clump, whenever, however they clump, I think sometimes they get tired of the church not participating well and they just want to get on with the work. And the church can miss out on that uh, missionary zeal that they bring. Because they're all in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> whatever it is. And uh, in the West, we have a real problem with not being evangelistic enough. We actually need a real rise in the evangelistic gift, sowing into local church. I think that this is Calvary's biggest weakness. And we've thought it for years. We've been praying for a long time, asking God to raise up really big evangelistic people who love the local church and will help sow into this stuff. And we see it. 
sometimes. One of my favorite things, I hope this doesn't expose anybody that happened the last little week, is that somebody got onto the, our prayer WhatsApp thing with something they were going to do on the weekend, and we prayed for them, and they came back and said that some people were interested in doing a Bible study out of it, and people in the church were clapping about it, and I was just like, that was my favorite moment of the week! <laughs> Because a mostly unevangelistically oriented church was excited about somebody who doesn't know Jesus wanting to come to a Bible study. And we need that growing excitement. Um, when apostles clump, um, I think it's like in church organ- planting organizations. And I actually hear that these are, there are these meetings where it's like the mega church leaders get together and network, which would be really funny. It's like TED Talks for Apostles or something like that. But... Um, I don't know what the problems are there because I'm not in those circles. If there's any problems, it's very likely just the church in general thinking that bigger means better when it doesn't always. And I think when pastoral types clump, um, we just keep taking care of each other and keeping taking care of each other and taking care of each other because nobody's actually doing well enough with the Lord yet. So they still need more care and they still need more care and we still need more care and we still need more care and... Seven community groups a week, one for each night of the week, isn't enough relationship, and we keep on relating and keep on relating and caring for each other and caring for each other, relating, relating, and caring each other, caring for each other, relating and relating. And then five years later, you realize that there's somebody who lives in Steinbeck that doesn't actually go to your church because all your relationships just been in this room. That's a clumping issue. We need to get out and try to care for people who aren't in our circle of care sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're always preparing for the war. You never get out there and fight a battle. Always training, never traveling. All right. So this is my sense of things. This is where i looking at the broader picture, looking at the hearts. And I want to share these problems because I just want us to be aware of them so that we can be very, very gracious with the problems of the church. Jesus' bride is not as beautiful as she's going to be. And I don't want us to be a bunch of people who look at the word on her nose and say, ugh, while Jesus is standing right beside us going, that's my wife you just ugh at. I don't want to do that. Jesus died for his church. I want to be really humble about her problems. Knowing that I'm one of her problems. But I want to be really gracious with Christians. Because Jesus is really gracious with Christians. And the last thing you can do to impress Jesus is attack people he loves. Amen? So this is the whole thing. I want us to be ready to help other people grow with what he's got in our hearts because he loves them. I want us to be looking at our own hearts and our motivations and go, I don't want to have bad motivations that are about me and not about the truth and love helping people go to Jesus. I don't want to be caught up in the fights of the church that where the problem really is just like Bible guys, just meet somebody who actually loves people and learn how they do that. Or prophetic churches like... Invite some people who actually know Greek to your church and help you not say things like, I was listening to dead people talk to me last night. Because that never happens. And it brings disrepute on Christ in the church when people are just so off there doing weirdo stuff. 
That's me. Because I want us to do well. We need to do well. Or people go to hell. Amen? Calvary, the arms are moving. The arms are moving. Amen? Okay, we should worship. While the team's coming up, I'm going to end where I started here. This literally is all about people growing in Christ. This really is it. And church, if... If we don't know what's going on, if this message doesn't make any sense to you, you know how you respond? You say, okay, Jesus, I want to grow in you. Show me your glory. If something just like pagan is wrong, praise God. We need the troubles. I literally was not talking about anybody personally here, so I wasn't trying to expose anybody except for that one WhatsApp app chat thing, which was a praise report. I wasn't thinking of anybody personally, so please don't feel exposed. But if you feel convicted... Grow up into Christ. Turn to Him. Say, I, I want to be one of those people who's motivated by your glory and acting just in truth and love so that your body is built up and I'm not just bullied by the world. Amen? So why don't we stand and worship? I'll pray a blessing over us. Then we can go from there. Father, I just thank you for your word. I love your Bible. And one of the things I love about the New Testament is that there were, they just, so many of them were just getting it so wrong. And that just encourages me that you actually really love your church in the middle of her mess. And you, you want to send people to people who are willing to be in the mess so that people can grow into you. And so, Lord, I just give you my own heart. And I just want to confess that I am regularly so loveless that it, it just kills me. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me personally do truth and love really well so that people can genuinely grow into Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as Calvary Chapel to be so okay with our weaknesses and where we get it wrong so that we can just welcome your instruction and grace so we can actually be transformed to be more glory-bringing for you and a better experience of truth and love for each other. Father, I pray that where anybody was discouraged about this talk from the last week, I call on the Holy Spirit of God to glorify the knowledge of Jesus in their lives and they would meet with the Lord. God, would you send somebody a dream or a word that would speak encouragement to them? Father, I pray that we would, we would just be growing freer and freer of wanting any part of our life to be about us and especially church. And that, Lord, I want, I want the reward in this life to be all of us together seeing the amazingness of the love of Jesus. That anybody would suffer on the cross for us is already too much. But that the Son of God himself would suffer God's anger unto death in order to be with us forever. Make us to see this truth. Amen.